Hey, this is uh, our yak meeting from Sunday night, May 3rd. So it's not your typical quarantine podcast, but if you missed it, um, I'll help you join us for this little bit longer segment of teaching. Peace. where we're at, they're dealing with the exact same sort of things. Times change, people don't. So people are in the midst of figuring out what is good and how do they walk with the Lord? How do they do as the Lord requires of them? So we first have to ask, and it's, I think, necessary to ask who is Micah right if we're gonna if we're gonna actually look into the book and pull from it we have to ask who is Micah and what is he saying so the first question is an easy one or hopefully I can give you some insight if you don't know the history of your Bibles Micah is an Old Testament prophet he prophesies mostly in the kingdom of Judah but he does speak to Israel as well. He lived during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, all kings of Judah, sometime between 740 B.C. and 690 B.C. He was a contemporary of the prophets Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. And it probably means that he met some of those dudes as he was prophesying to the kingdom of Judah. Now, Judah's the southern kingdom, Israel's the northern kingdom, if you know your Bible history. And he predicts the fall of Israel, which comes to pass during his lifetime in 722 B.C. Now this is just Bible trivia that I think you do need to know if you want to understand the Old Testament. And if you want to understand who invades who, it's alphabetical order. So Israel falls before Judah, I before J. And Assyria is the first invader, with Babylon being the second invader, A and B. And you typically move north to south when you read, northern kingdom falls first, southern kingdom of Judah falls second. So the second question is, what is Micah saying? And Micah is context, context, context. If you don't understand the context of what he's saying, we can take it way out of left field and make goodness whatever we want it to. And we can make doing justice and living in humility and loving kindness anything we want it to. So we have to understand the context of what Micah is speaking to to know how to interpret it. So the two questions you always have to ask in hermeneutics, which is just how to study scripture, is this. The first question you have to ask is, what is God saying to the original audience? And then, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me? So what is God saying to the original audience? What is God saying to the original audience? So to know that, you have to know what a prophet does. Because if you don't know what a prophet does, you don't know how they function, and you don't know what message they always bring. Because in the Old Testament, they bring the same message every prophetic book. Okay? So a prophet's role is to remind people of the covenant that God has made with man. And not just mankind, but specifically Israel. 
That is a prophet's function. This is why you see at the beginning of Micah, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, Hear, O peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth and all that is in it. And let the Lord be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. He is calling them out from his position as witness because they are breakers of the covenant they have made with God. He is telling the people that you've broken the covenant I made with Moses in the desert. You know that as the Ten Commandments. And if you read the Old Testament for a hot minute, you know that this is what Israel does over and over again. And if you know your own hearts, it's what we do over and over again. We are covenant breakers. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is just an agreement between two people. But if someone breaks it, there are consequences. And God has laid out those consequences in Scripture. If you break these commandments, there's death. There is, I will remove you from the promised land. These are the things that he says will happen. So prophets remind people of the covenant. That's what I want you to remember. Prophets remind people of the covenant. And not just the Mosaic covenant. God made covenants with his people. Um, Before then too, God made a covenant with Abraham and tells him that he'll make uh, Abraham's descendants more than the stars in the sky And that through those descendants, he would bless the whole world. It's the covenant of Abraham. And then he also, this is the great kingdom of God that will come. And who will reign in that kingdom? The answer to that covenant, God made a covenant with David, saying it'll be from your throne that the kingdom of God will reign on the earth without end. So the prophets referenced by all the prophets are the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants. And they do this all the time. And this falls completely in with this covenant of redemption, which was laid out in Genesis 3 when God promises to send a savior to the world to crush the head of the serpent and to bring us back into union with God. So all these covenants fall underneath the covenant of redemption. Okay? But the people in Micah's time have been breaking these covenants. Well, how have they been breaking the covenant? How have they been breaking the covenant? We're going to see how they've been breaking the covenant in this list, okay? So the leaders, religious and political, had abused their power and conspired to do evil. It's Micah 2 and Micah 7. They had coveted and defrauded others of their property. They're literally stealing land from people that they should not steal land from, so that they can make their own kingdoms greater. They're stealing and plundering property from the poor. They're overtaxing people for no reason. They hated good and loved evil. They oppressed the poor. They despised justice and distorted truth. They acted with violence and deceit, and they murdered their own people. This is the people that Micah is speaking to as a prophet. And in doing these things, they break the covenant they've made with their Lord. I know what you're thinking as you're reading those things. AJ, this is just the eight o'clock news every time we turn on the television. And you can make an easy parallel between how we work as a country and a community and this list that we see here. 
Honestly, you could charge these things against any world government. But prophets don't leave you in judgment. Prophets don't leave you in judgment. Even though God was judging the sin of the oppressors, he reminds them of the covenant of God made with his people, that all things will be made new and that God will reign on the throne of David. If you were at service this morning, we saw the verse that um, Patrick gave us from the Old Testament reading, which comes from Micah 6, to remind us that it is him who will give us glory. That even though you're breaking the covenant, I am going to hold firm to my covenant. I'm going to bring you a savior, savior even though you don't deserve it. That God will reign on the throne of David. Look at Micah chapter 4 with me. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And that shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. So if we know that this is what God is saying, so for out of that Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. If we know this is what God is saying to the people of Israel, what the junk does that have to do with us? How can we look at a verse like Micah 6.8 and apply any of that to our lives without taking it brutally out of context and applying our own definition of goodness or our own definition of kindness and justice and mercy and love. But if we understand the context and we understand that God uses the prophets to speak not only to the people, but to us as well, then we can begin to ask, right? What is God saying to us? Let's look at the list again, okay? And I want to see how many of these things we can relate to us, okay? So, the leaders are religious. I know what you might be thinking. I'm not a religious leader. I'm not a political leader. I know some of our public school students are on student council. You're the closest, right? They're the closest to being a political leader. Does that mean that God doesn't speak to them here? Not at all. We are all leaders in our circle, both political in the way that it functions and religious in that we have a spiritual impact. You might say, I don't have prop property. How could I covet and defraud others of their property if I don't have it? Okay, that's true. Might be true. Okay. Next, I've not stolen or plundered anything, right? He can't be talking to me unless it's that movie on the internet. Maybe I've stolen that one or two times. And maybe I do covet other people's things. Maybe my heart is there. But again, I don't hate evil and love. I mean, I don't. Hate good and love evil. But every time we give in to temptation and deny leaning on obedience to God, this is exactly what we do. We do hate good and we love evil. You might be thinking, well, I can't oppress the poor. I'm a teenager. I am the definition of poor. How can I oppress myself? And that might be true. But there are two types of sins. There are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Commission being things that you do and omission being things that you neglect. And we commit the sin of omission 
when we spend days, if not weeks, if not months, giving a second thought to the poor in our communities. And I just don't mean the poor financially, right? Even though we should be thinking of them as well. There are poor people in our community that are poor relationally, that are poor spiritually, that are poor emotionally, etc., that are disenfranchised on the end. And if you're like me, I oppress the poor by my indifference to them. I oppress the poor by my omission, if not my commission. Next, we don't act with violence, right, or death to others. But remember what Jesus said, right? You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone, I hate that word, right? Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever instills his brother will be li- insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. And my point is this. My point is this. Micah is speaking to you just as he is speaking to the religious people of his day. So based on the context of the document as a whole, we can look to its warnings and to its instructions of right living and apply them to our lives. So I asked you two questions at the beginning, right? What is goodness and what does the Lord require of you? And these are the first two questions that we'll be looking at for the next two weeks, right? He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? So what is goodness? What is goodness? Jerry Bridges, we're reading this book in men's group on Thursday morning, and his book, The Fruitful Life, defines goodness as this. He links it, I think rightfully, with kindness. Because most of the time when we see goodness, it's goodness and kindness, or kindness and goodness. And he describes it with the fruit of the Spirit, right? Kindness is the sincere desire for the happiness of others. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Let me go further, right? Kindness is the inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. And goodness is kindness in action, words and deeds. Read the book of James. So when Micah asked Israel, what is good, O Israel? He was asking them this. Have you cared for the poor? Have you been your brother's keeper? And last but certainly not least, have you kept the commandments of the Lord? Or have you abandoned all three? Those were the things he was asking the people of Israel. And when Micah asks you, what is good, O Yak? He is asking, have you cared for the poor? Have you been your brother's keeper? And have you kept the commandments of the Lord or have you abandoned all three things. Again, is he talking about the literal poor? Yes. 
But if you've read the Gospel of Luke especially, we know that the concern of Jesus is always the disenfranchised of the community. Those who are on the edges of society and our friend groups. For how you treat those people reflect your God to the world. Think about it. We all probably know the person who sells out to the cool group of kids just to fit in. We've all seen that kid or maybe been the victim of that kid who has put others down just so they can be seen better in the eyes of their peers. And how do we participate? By commission or by omission? Because we'll be held liable for both. How? Hmm? Yeah? Is that a question? Okay. So have we looked after, the second one, have we looked after our brothers and sisters? Have we looked after our brothers and sisters? So the first one's asking, have you cared for the poor? The second one's asking, have we looked after our brothers and sisters? Have you reached out? Who have you reached out to during this time of isolation? Has it only been your closest friends or people outside of your circles who may also be out isolated. And when I heard this, I know it's quick to think, well, no one's contacted me. Please don't sound like Adam, right? The woman you gave me, Lord. Don't blame shift. What have you done during your time of quarantine? Have we simply expanded our own personal kingdoms and made sure that we're comfortable? Or have we worked for the good of God's kingdom when he tells us to do these things in Micah 6, 8. A quick application that Corey was sharing with me um, when we were talking about this verse was this. When someone comes to mind this week, don't, don't dismiss it. Don't think it's not the Holy Spirit who's impressing upon you that person. Reach out to them, whether it's text, whether it's snap, whether it's an Instagram message, whether it's a quick call that just says, hey, was thinking of you, how are you doing today? It takes 30 seconds. And I think many times when that happens, we just discount it as our mind wandering. We don't realize that many times this is the Holy Spirit impressing upon us the need to reach out for others. I can't tell you how many people that I'll just text throughout the course of the day, and they come back to me later and they say, thank you so much for reaching out for me that time Monday. It was an awful day. And it was so good to know that somebody was thinking of me and praying for me. It's an easy thing to do as a youth group. Next, have you clung to the Savior who fulfilled these commandments? Or are we like Israel and we quickly forget about the promises of God? If you're like me, when I meditated on these truths this week, I was convicted of my sins, both that I have committed in the last couple of weeks and especially the ones where I've omitted and said, oh, someone else can take care of that. I don't need to do that. <laughs> or even use the Lord's, man, I'm so sinful. Or even explain it to the Lord, you've clearly not given me that gifting. Surely, you haven't put that person on my heart for me to attend to. Someone else will handle it. You can handle it, Lord. And maybe you're there. 
Maybe you're convicted of your sins. But remember, the prophets don't just leave us in our misery. They don't leave us in the sin. The prophets always give us hope. And we don't have hope just as a place in the sense of Zion where we're heading, but we also have him as a person and his name of Jesus. You know who God calls to the kingdom? You. You see, our God is just, is love, is kindness, as your mom said earlier, is goodness. Walked humbly with God as his father so that those who struggle to do good can rest in his righteousness and not their own. We can rest in the good works that God has done so that we know we have a right relationship with him and the shame is not left us in our sins, but has propelled us to live as kingdom followers, as kingdom servants, as messengers of those kingdoms to the poor and disenfranchised in our world. And we can do that even now in our world when people are statistically dealing with more isolation than many ever have before. And you can be used as a peacemaker, as a reconciler, as a joy filler of the Lord when we think outside of ourselves and do good and are kind. And Jesus has not left us alone to do that. It's one of my favorite things to think of. Chapter 14, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. And he says this in a couple of verses later. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. But now that you have been set free from sin, oh, sorry, and then he um, gives us uh, more clarification of it. Um, sorry, I want to, let me step back. I lost my second space in the notes. We are being sanctified as the Holy Spirit dwells in us and being more made into his image and the image of Christ. Micah does reveal our sin. He calls us to repentance and reminds us of the covenant God made with us. We who are in Christ will do more good day by day and we will receive our reward in the end. And this is what Romans says. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, yeah. The question we're going to take into the rest of our meeting is with that in mind, how can we be kingdom bearers be prophetic in our world as we walk humbly, do justly, love mercy. How do we do these things well in our communities? How are we bridges to the disenfranchised while at the same time having a lot of fun? We are a people of party. 
There are more festivals in the Old Testament than there are days of fasting. We can do all these things while enjoying ourselves. But many times I think we view it as a chore. And I don't want us to view it as a chore. Because Jesus didn't view us as a chore. He viewed us as a joy. And I hope you, you get that joy too.